0: I don't know, I I suspect many of you have heard this line before. A very famous book is based on it, but it goes like this. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Let me say it again. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Here's where it came from. There was a man named Robert Burns many years ago, back in the 1700s, and he was plowing his field. And as he plowed his field, he plowed right through a mouse den that had been built by mice. And his brother said that immediately he stopped plowing the field, got out a piece of paper, and he wrote the famous poem, The Best Laid Plans of Mice and Men, Often go awry because there were mice in that field who had prepared that den for the winter, and here along comes a plow, and the mice had no idea that their house was going to be destroyed. And by the way, we make plans all the time, and guess what often happens? They go awry. This month, I was supposed to be not here. I'm not supposed to be here. I was supposed to be in Israel and Jordan, the land of Jesus. However, I'm here. Guess why? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. When we made our plans last year, a year ago, with 48 people, we thought a year later, the COVID virus would be gone and we would be able to travel freely anywhere we wanted to go. But guess what? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. It was not what we expected. But as Christians, we believe that God actually controls what happens. We don't. And so one of the most important things we can do as people is to make plans, but we realize that we don't have the final control over what happens with those plans. Now, today in our Bible passage in Romans, we're going to talk, it's going to talk about the apostle Paul who made very specific plans, but they went terribly awry. But God used them for something even better. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans, and next week, we'll be done with it. It's the, probably the most important letter that has ever been written in the history of human beings. It's the most important thing perhaps ever written in human history, what we've been going through. In it, from chapter 1 through chapter 15, it talked about what's called the gospel, the good news. Christianity is, if you put it in one word, gospel. Christianity is good news. The good news is this. There is a God who is good and holy and perfect. And there are human beings like us. We are not good. We are not holy. We are not perfect. But God's standard is perfection, and we are far from perfection. So what's God going to do? What God did is he sent to this earth Jesus, who lived like we do, but he never sinned, unlike any of us. You'd think that would result in everybody loving him. They didn't love him. I don't think you'd love a perfect brother or sister either. If you had one, you'd probably be jealous of them. So would I. They were terribly jealous of Jesus and they killed him. But his death was not simply a murder. His death was, he said, he died paying the penalty for all human beings' sins. And then after he died, a month later, he, or three days later, he rose from the dead and then he ascended to heaven and people watched him go up into heaven. And the good news is this, that God came to us, he, not us, he paid the penalty for our sins. We don't have to pay it. But what God will expect for us is this, that we will acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of what God expects and we will trust that what Jesus did on the cross when he died, he died for our sins. The children, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. The good news is this God will accept us into heaven if we accept his Son as our Savior. That's good news. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 15, has told us all about the good news, but it's done now. You might ask the question, why did the Apostle Paul tell these Roman people about the good news? Well, he had an ulterior motive. Remember, Paul had never been to Rome. Rome was the most important city in the world, the only city in the world by far that was over a million people for more than for thousands of years, the only city in the world. It was the center of the world. Paul had never been there. But in this chapter we're going to look at today, he says, I'm going to come to see you. I have plans. In fact, I have the best laid plans. I'm going to come to see you. And when I come to see you, guess what? You are going to help me so that I can go on my way to Spain because that's my real goal. I don't want to stop in Rome. I want to go all the way to Spain so that I can take this good news about Jesus from Jerusalem all the way to the Atlantic Ocean in Spain. And you Romans are going to help me do that. That's why he wrote the book. So today we're going to look at his best laid plans. And guess what? They're going to go awry. We know that because we have the rest of the Bible to tell us what happened, but even though his best laid plans went awry, God is going to use them for good. So the first thing he's going to do today is he's going to tell us about, he's going to give us some information about the Roman people to whom he's writing. He likes them, but he's never seen them before. And then he's going to tell them about his plans. And then we're going to find out how his plans turned out. So, If you see on the screen here, our verses today are Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 33. And we're going to start with the best laid plans. What he's going to do is he's going to describe some people that he has never met, but he admires them. Why does he admire them? Well, because some of Paul's best friends who he did know, namely a man named Aquila, and a woman named Priscilla came from Rome, and they knew these people, and they're some of Paul's best friends. They're with him now, perhaps, when he writes this. And so the apostle Paul knows about these people, but he's never met them, and he admires them. As we look at these verses, ask yourself the question, do you think someone could write this about me? Here's what he wrote. I myself am am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace of God given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the holy spirit now here's what he says to put it in very simple language he says i've never met you but be- but i've heard about you and i heard that you people are full of goodness that's pretty nice to hear and you you understand god's word and you are able to teach each other and because I've heard about you. I've written you very boldly. And remember, in what we've written, what we've talked about a couple of chapters ago, remember, he's very bold. He says, I know in your body you've got Jews and you've got Gentiles. You've got Native Americans and you've got other Americans. And you two don't often get along. But I'm telling you, you've got to get along. Why? Why? Because though we have different cultures, even different languages, and certainly different customs, we have only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I wrote to you very boldly. Now, when you say to somebody very boldly, you point out even some sin in their lives, what most people do when you point out things they don't like, they back away or they get rid of you. And the apostle Paul says, when I spoke to you boldly, guess what you did? You accepted it. I'm amazed. I wrote to you about the unity between Jews and Gentiles. Remember, they couldn't worship on the same day, they couldn't eat the same foods, and they couldn't drink the same drink. How do you have a potluck with that? And Paul said, even though you're very different, you have come together because you love Jesus. And he commends them. The Apostle Paul says, in fact, I'm like a priest. I'm like a priest that presents you to God as an acceptable sacrifice. No, um, I would call these people unsung heroes. Do you have people in your life who um, you don't need to prompt them, but they just do good all the time. They don't need to ask to be do things. They simply see a need and, and they meet it. They don't have to be called and reminded of their commitments they just exude goodness with very little supervision. They're self-motivated, they're self-feeders, they're self-initiators. They ask for very little and they give very much. Do you know people like that? Well, Paul says, I've never met you, but I've heard that that's the kind of people that you are. And he says, and you're even better than that. Because you're the kind of people that someone can speak to very boldly, even point out things that are wrong in your life, and you don't take offense. I would call it, if you have people in your life, I call them low-maintenance relationships. There's some relationships that you have with people, you're always walking on eggshells because they're so easily offended. They're very quick to misunderstand anything you say, and, and you can't say anything bad to them because they'll react very negatively. Do you know people like that? I would call them high-maintenance relationships. And if you have them, you don't like them. And you know what you do with high-maintenance relationships? Instead of telling them the truth, you flatter them, you patronize them, you soft-pedal the truth, you cajole them, you manipulate them, you treat them with kid gloves, and you schmooze them, but what do you say to somebody that you got to schmooze? What do you say somebody that you got to, what are you saying about a person you have to treat with uh, kid gloves? You can't tell them really the truth. What do you do with what such people? You don't really trust them. When you have to patronize somebody, you don't really trust them. But Paul says, oh, they're not like that. I can talk to them straight and I don't have to water it down. I don't have to tickle their ears. I can preach The Bible without having to play games with them. And by the way, that's what I think you people are like here in Riverton. As you know, I'm just temporary here. One of the beauties of my job is you might not like me and it doesn't matter that much. Um, (laughs) That's kind of nice. But guess what? I've tried to, to tell what the Bible says as clearly as I can. And sometimes that's not really fun to hear. But guess what? You have thrown no tomatoes thus far. And you haven't kicked me out thus far. And if you were like the people of Rome, the Apostle Paul would say, Yes, that's what I love about you people. I can speak the truth to you without patronizing you, without tickling your ears, and you're not easily offended. And you know what that means? That means you're mature. When a preacher or a politician tells us what we want to hear, they are really telling us that we are a bunch of babies. That's what they're saying. They're telling us, really, you're a bunch of selfish babies. You can't really handle the truth. And that's demeaning. And Paul says, I never had to do that with you because you're grown ups. That's pretty good. But now the Apostle Paul is going to get to his plans. And he's going to say something pretty interesting to the Roman people. Here's what, in essence, he's going to say He says, You Roman people are in the center of the world. You're in the biggest city in the world. You're the most important church, perhaps, in the whole world. And guess what? I don't want to see you very much. (laughs) He says, You know what I want to do? I want to get to Rome and just meet you guys for a little bit. And I want to head off out the door because I don't want to stay in Rome. I want to go all the way to Spain. Now, why does he not want to stay in Rome? Rome's the big city. Rome's the, the greatest place in the world at the time. He says, That's, I just want to pass through. Why? Well, let's see why. Here's what he says. Verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. So the Apostle Paul begins with some sanctified bragging. You know, sometimes it's good to brag. Um, but he says, I'm not bragging about myself. I'm bragging about what Christ has accomplished through me. What had God done? Through Paul, one man, God had brought the message about Jesus from Jerusalem all the way to modern day Yugoslavia. That's what Illyricum is. 1,400 miles, city after city after city after city. The apostle Paul came into the city, told about Jesus, built churches, and went on, 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 and on, and on, all the way to what is Albania and Yugoslavia today, from from Jerusalem. But he said, I'm not done. Because God gave me the privilege of speaking the good news about Jesus to people who have never heard about Jesus ever in their lives. So you people in Rome, you have heard about Jesus. You've had Christians in your country for about 30 years now. You do know about Jesus. So I don't want to stay in Rome. You already have a church there, but I want you to help me get on to Spain because the people in Spain have never heard about Jesus. That's what he says. That's his purpose. That's, that's his, his incredible plan. So, Paul says, you believers in Rome are special because you're, you have good character and you've been doing good works, which have opened up opportunities for God to tell people in Rome about Jesus. And I don't need to, teach, to treat you like touchy little children, softening soft peddling the gospel i could speak to you boldly and you accepted it but now i want you to help me use some of the resources you have when i come to you to take the gospel and bring it to spain to people who have never heard so there's his plans oh those are good plans his plans begin with a group of christians who are committed to jesus And the Apostle Paul says, my plan is to come to you people, and I want you to help me bring the gospel to Spain, because I don't need to stay with you, because you're already well established as a Christian community. And so my plan is to come to Rome. But before I get to you, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Now let me give you the time. The time frame is 57 A.D., That's 27 years after Jesus Christ left this world, almost 30 years. He says, I'm going to come to you real soon because I'm going to make a quick trip from Greece, where he is now, back to Israel, to Jerusalem, and then I'm coming to Rome and I'm going to be with you guys shortly. That's the plan. It's going to go awry. It's going to be a real problem. Let's see what happens next verse 23. But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. These regions? Greece. And since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, doesn't that sound sweet? <laughs> so Paul says, here's my plan. I'm going to make a little trip from Greece back to Jerusalem because I have that's where the church began. That's where Jesus lived. That's where Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. I'm going back to Jerusalem. And guess what? after I go to Jerusalem, I'm going to get on my horse or get on a ship, and I'm coming here to Rome. I'm going to spend some really pleasant time with you guys, and then I'm going off to Spain. That's the plan. But there's a bit of a problem here because Paul, his plans did not figure into God's plans. You see, in God's plan, Paul's timing was off And the manner of what's going to happen to him was off and the setting that he had planned is off. Here's what happened. Paul is not going to get to Rome until two years later. Um, He is going to find himself imprisoned in Caesarea for two years and then via a ship and a shipwreck he's going to find himself in Rome. And how is he going to get there? He's going to get there as a prisoner, not as a free person. He's going to get there with chains on him, in a chain gang. And when he gets there, where's he going to find himself? Eating shrimp cocktail with the Roman Christians? No, in prison. So what the apostle Paul didn't know is that he's not going to get to Rome for a couple more years. And when he gets there, he's going to get there as a prisoner in a prison. Well, is he going to get to Rome? Yes. But is it the way he had planned? No. Is it the timing that he had planned? No. Is it in the manner that he planned? No. But God, in the meantime, while he's a prisoner, had some really good things in mind. Do you know what happened while he was a prisoner? While he was a prisoner in Caesarea, he had the privilege of doing the following. He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with the high priest of the Jewish people, with one of their highest ranking lawyers. He shared the gospel with the Roman governor named Felix and his wife, Drusilla, He shared the gospel with the governor, whose name was Porcius Festus. He shared the gospel with the king, whose name was Agrippa, and his wife, whose name was Bernice. He shared the gospel with all the leading citizens of the place where he was imprisoned and many, many Roman soldiers. So though you might think that his plans went awry, which they did, the timing is not what he expected. He expected to make a quick trip to to Jerusalem and then on to Rome, and he found himself a prisoner. But in the meantime, he had the privilege of sharing the gospel about Jesus Christ with the highest-ranking people in the whole country, all of them. So his plans went awry, but God had greater good in mind. Um, how, How do we take it as people when God changes the timing on uh, our plans, or God changes the manner, or God changes the setting that we expected. Can we trust Him that He has something better in mind? I I I love traveling to the Middle East. I've been there many times, fourteen, and I love introducing people to the land where Jesus lived. And I've planned to do it uh, several times recently, but I can't. Our plans have gone awry, but God has got a better plan in mind. That's what it means to be a Christian. We trust him. But remember I mentioned Paul plans to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what happened to him when he got to Jerusalem? Let's find out. This is verse 15, verses 15 to 29. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come with the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Well, so he says, I'm going to come to you. Now, why did the apostle Paul want to go to Jerusalem? Remember, he's in Greece. He could have just gone right across the sea over to Rome. It would have taken only a week or so. But instead, he goes the opposite direction back to Jerusalem. Why? Well, because he's not alone. You see, the people, the Christians in Jerusalem who were Jewish, many of them had lost their jobs. They had been ostracized by their family and the, the, the country had gone through a famine. And so many of the Christians in Jerusalem were poor. So what the apostle Paul did is he traveled through Turkey and Greece. Every church he planted, he said to these people, we have brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem who are Poor we need to help them out. So in every single town he went to, he asked for a contribution to be made, a monetary contribution to be brought to the people in Jerusalem. But Paul knew that money is always dangerous. It's always dangerous that you will pilfer some money from the till or that you could be robbed. So what Paul insisted on was that every single church that he planted collected money, but they also had to have somebody carry that money with them. Paul would not touch it himself. So Paul is on his way to Jerusalem with a big group of Gentiles bringing a large offering to the poor people in Jerusalem. And Paul said, this is going to be great because when I get there, they're going to be so pleased. And this friction between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church is going to be healed because they're going to realize we love them and we want to help them. Isn't this great? Uh Uh-uh. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Here's what happened. Paul got to Jerusalem with this group of people with the money. They brought the money to the Jewish people. Christians, and they were pleased. But someone started a false rumor that Paul was bringing Gentiles into the temple, and they arrested him in Jerusalem at the temple, and they tried to kill him on the spot in a huge mob lynching The Roman soldiers intervened and had to carry Paul on their shoulders to get him out from the mob, killing him. And as they were carrying him out from the mob in the temple complex, Paul looks at the people that had just tried to kill him. And he says to the Roman soldiers, hey, can I speak to the crowd? The Roman soldiers say, you are out of your mind. They just tried to kill you. Paul says, I don't care. Let me talk to them. And so Paul started to preach to them. The very people tried to kill him. And then he says, and God sent me to the Gentiles. And they went ballistic. They were furious. How dare God go to the Gentiles? And so the Roman soldiers had to get him out as fast as possible. Well, the next day they put him on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. And while he was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the top judge said, punch him in the face. And one of the soldiers punched Paul right in the face. And Paul went on, and finally they decided that they were going to take Paul uh, away from the the Sanhedrin. They didn't know what he had done wrong, and they were prepared. They stripped him of his clothes, and they were ready to beat him. And Paul said, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. (gasps) Because you couldn't do that to a Roman citizen. And so then they didn't do that. They didn't do it, but they had him in prison. And they decided to transfer him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. But... When the Jewish leaders heard that they were going to transfer him this trip of about 50 miles, they decided, a group of 40 people said, we will not eat or drink anything until we have executed Paul. So they, they decided they were going to kill him as he was being transported from Jerusalem to Caesarea. But one of Paul's relatives got, got wind of the plot Told the centurion, the military officer, and they had this huge group of soldiers taking Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea so that he wouldn't get killed on the way. And then they put him in prison for two years. The best-laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And so um, it didn't turn out exactly as he wanted. His plan was that this he would go to Jerusalem and there would be this great love fest. And they would realize that this Jew who who reached Gentiles really loved the Jewish people, and he was still Jewish and and Christian, and everyone would be happy, and they'd have this wonderful time together. But that's not what happened at all. Have you ever had plans? You made plans with the very best of intentions, hoping for the best of outcome, and everything went miserably wrong. You'd encountered problems you didn't anticipate. People who took what you did and said the wrong way. In fact, maybe you were even falsely accused, but you meant good. That's what happened to Paul. Well, he ends this 15th chapter with, no surprise, a prayer. And here's how these verses end. Verse 30. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. There's his first prayer. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Here's the second one. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably be received by the Lord's people there. And here's his third one so that I may come to you with joy by God's will, and in your company will be refreshed. So he prays first of all for his personal safety, and then he prays for a good reception among the Jewish Christians, and thirdly, he prays that he might come to the Roman Christians and find refreshment. Well, how were his prayers answered? Prayer number one, he prayed that God would deliver him from the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. Well, he didn't get killed, but he almost got killed, and he sure got beat up. That's not kind of what he expected, maybe, but that's what happened. So God did answer his prayer. Prayer number two, that his gift of money to the, Gentile, to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would be well-received. It was well-received. However, Somebody started a false rumor that almost got Paul killed. That's what happened with that prayer request. And the third one, he prayed that he would get to Rome and enjoy a time of refreshment. Well, he got to Rome, but as a prisoner and ended up in a prison. So I guess God answered his prayers, but not quite as he had expected. So what? So what does it mean for us today? Number one, make plans. It it, it is part of being a human being, a good human being, a productive human being, that we make plans. Hopefully plans that that God is into. Every one of us should have a plan for our life. We plan out our days. God doesn't want us just to make our way through life, just muddle through. God wants us to be productive. He wants us to do good things. He wants us to share the good news. He wants us to do good deeds. That's what we're here for. We're here to do good things for God. We should have plans, but all of our plans are subject to the sovereignty of God. We plan, but God ultimately determines what happens. In fact, I often say this, but it says in the book of James, don't don't say, well, today and tomorrow I I will go such and such a place and do such and such a thing. You should say, if God wills, because none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us do. We have our plans. I have my plans for tomorrow, but my plans are subject to what God wants. So when God does change our plans, one of the beauties is as Christians, we can trust that what he's up to is even better. It doesn't mean easier it doesn't mean more pleasant. It doesn't mean the timing is our timing, but it's ultimately better. God's plans are are, are better. But beware of the false notion that God's plans will always be easy because God's plans for Paul were not easy. He expected a nice quick trip from Jerusalem to Rome. Instead, he got beat up, almost killed, shipwrecked and many other things before he finally made it there as a prisoner in a jail. That's not what he expected. Well I'm going to end with telling you some of my plans that went awry, but not quite. In 1974, I was about to graduate from college. I expected a a, to have my college graduation. I did well in college Was going to go to the ceremony, and my family was going to come, and it was going to be wonderful. What I didn't know is I was going to get an appendicitis attack, and I missed my finals and I missed my graduation because I was in the hospital. So that went awry. Now, when I went to college, I had two great goals. I never said this to anyone, but I had them. I wanted to know what I was going to do with my life, namely a job, and I wanted some prospects for a wife. And I finished college and I didn't have either one. I didn't have a clue what I was doing with my life, and I certainly didn't have any prospects for a wife. And guess what? I went home to my hometown of 1,200 people. There wasn't an eligible woman within 1,000 miles of my home, not one, (laughs) zero. My hometown was one-tenth the size of Riverton, and this is not a big town. And so what did I do? Since I had no idea what I was doing with my life, went to work for my father in construction. Well, dad worked in Chicago, so we drove down every day to Chicago, about 80 miles, it was a long distance. And I was the lowest person on the construction totem pole, if you can use that expression. And I was the one who did the cleanup and drove drove the dump truck. And so they called me College Boy. That was their name for me. Hey, College Boy, they thought it was real funny that the lowest person was the one who had the college education, and I was getting lower and lower and lower all the time. I was so discouraged. I had my plans, but nothing was going right. Out of the clear blue, I got a telegram. Now, if you don't know what a telegram is, you just dated yourself. (laughs) They're these ancient things that you get, uh, like a letter, but a fast letter. Not very fast. But I got a telegram from some missionaries that I we knew in Swaziland, Africa. And they said, we heard you've graduated from college and we're desperate for teachers here in Africa. Would you consider coming to Africa as a teacher? Paid by the Swazi government, not as a missionary that had to raise support. I thought, well, that's better than driving a dump truck in Chicago. (laughs) At least I think it is. (laughs) So I said yes which is strange because I was not an adventuresome person at all. I was kind of a homeboy, I guess you could say. Well, I sent, my tele- I sent a telegram back on a Thursday saying, I'm, I'll come. And on Sunday, I got on an airplane and I flew from Chicago to New York, to Liberia, to Ghana, to Zaire, to South Africa. And Tuesday morning, just what I had told them in my telegram, I arrived in Swaziland. The airport in Swaziland was about half the size of this room we're in right now, or smaller. They only had one airplane in the whole country, one each day. I flew in that day. That was the only airplane in the whole country. I got there, and there was no one there to meet me. So they closed the airport because they only had one airplane, and I was on a little plane, maybe 20 people, and everyone else left, and I'm sitting there on my suitcase and expecting someone to come. I had sent a telegram. No one came. Hours. I was in the middle of a field. There was nothing anywhere close. Finally, this black car drives up and uh, it was a French man with the UN. He couldn't speak English and I couldn't speak French and none of us could speak Zulu. So I said, I'm waiting for somebody. He said, can I help you in English? I said, yes, I'm waiting for someone from Franson Christian High School. He said, I know a Christian. I said, can you take me to him? So <laughs> okay, please. I, so I got in the car with this French guy I had never met, and he, he knew a missionary. He took me to this house of this missionary, and the missionary took me in that night. The next morning, he got put me on the back of a pickup truck, and I finally arrived at the school over dirt roads, and as they were having a prayer meeting, because just that day, they got my telegram. I had been in the country two days, And they got by their telegram, and they realized, I've been here, But so they were praying for me. And God, my plans went a little bit awry, but I got there. And God used the next three years of my life as a teacher in Africa to change everything in my life. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, but with God, they go perfectly if we let him. Let's pray. Oh, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're good and you intend good for us. And in the long run, you work things together for good. And in the process, you do good in us and through us. And for that, we're thankful. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're thankful that when we pray to you and we trust in you, we never have to worry about the dark side of the force or anything like that. Because you have no dark side. You're only light and goodness and truth. Help us, Heavenly Father, and teach us to trust you. This we pray in the name of the one we trust implicitly, Jesus. Amen. So, please stand. And our benediction today is um, the best laid plans of Jesus Christ always go a right. God bless you.